But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalms 1 verses 2 and 3. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Streams of Water Bible Study podcast. It's good to be with you today. Appreciate you tuning in as we begin a study of the Book of Jude. Andy, you doing okay this morning? I'm doing great. I'm happy to uh, be podcasting, be talking to you about uh, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, we're going to be getting into Jude, so looking forward to it. It's been a few weeks since we've. Uh, recorded together i think in between those times we we actually saw each other in person and we uh, didn't have time to do a a, a in-person recording but it was good to see each other so i'm happy to be back and happy to be doing it absolutely yeah definitely definitely enjoyed that and enjoyed getting to meet uh, everybody at at rossville Um, for those who may be listening from rossville uh, what a great congregation andy i'm glad you're there those those people love you greatly i don't know why uh, but for some <laughs> reason they do so i don't know they they seem to really like you too i on even after uh my next sermon on uh sunday there was there were several people uh coming up and, and telling me how how good you did on wednesday so they were still thinking <laughs> about that one so <laughs> well if uh if if you just want me to send in some videos to you know keep them <laughs> Keep them occupied. I can always do that. <laughs> yeah, we can we can play a video of you preaching while while I'm going. And, there you, you know, go. They can uh, they can pay attention to the one they want to. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, what about the book of Jude, Andy? Um, I feel like Jude is oftentimes a neglected book. We've talked about some books that aren't typically studied a lot, where maybe a lot of sermons and Bible classes don't find their basis in like Second and Third John, but now approaching Jude. Uh, what has been your experience with that book? We're probably going to look at about half of it today, uh, probably all that we'll have time for. Uh, but um, what has been uh, your reading, your experience with the book of Jude to this point? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's one of those that's often overlooked. You don't hear a lot of sermons on it. You don't hear a lot of uh, uh, lessons on it. Um, I love the book of Jude. Um, I think there is there's so many really... Um, profound insights, wisdom here. Of course, there is because it's it's God's word. I think maybe one of the reasons, though, that we uh, don't hear as much about it or don't talk about it as much is because there's some there's some strange things in there, maybe some confusing things um, in the book of Jude. It, of course, it's shorter uh, as well, but I think it's just a good reminder that we shouldn't uh, neglect the the whole counsel of God. There's um, so much to be gained from um, every portion of God's word. And what I love about uh, Jude is it's this great balance of um, uh, of warning and uh, caution and defense of the truth with also a, a very uh, tender call for, for mercy and for love and pointing to Jesus in a lot of different ways. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to to getting into it. What what thoughts do you have? What comes to mind when you think about uh, the letter of Jude? 
Well, I appreciate what you shared on that. Um, another thing that, that comes to my mind uh, when I think about the book of Jude, well, maybe a, a couple of things. First, uh, there are some pretty striking similarities between Jude and the book of Second Peter. So I, I don't really know what to do with that. Andy, maybe you do, that maybe Peter read Jude or Jude read Peter and they're writing to similar audiences. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot that you could suggest there. But just to note that when you read the two, you're going to find some differences, of course, but you're also going to find some pretty good similarities. So right. I've always thought that that was pretty interesting. I mean, do you have any further thoughts on that? Um, not a lot of thoughts. I think it's, it's I'm glad you pointed that out because um, there is a lot of uh, parallels. I think we can learn a lot from uh, looking at those two letters uh, side by side. I think what you said, um, again, we don't know exactly what to make of that similarity, but I think it does uh, reflect to us that Peter and Jude are seeing similar issues in the early church. They're, they're writing uh, about similar concerns that were uh, really, really urgent, really pressing. And so if we've got, you know, two letters in, in God's word that are kind of addressing very similar issues, I think that that shows us something about, uh, the fact that we need to pay attention to these things that are being talked about and be aware of the potential spiritual dangers that uh, these writers are are cautioning against. So I think that's an uh, important uh, thing to note in, in a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and then the, the only other thing that I've always thought was interesting about the book of Jude is we don't know for certain who Jude is. But, you know, in verse one, he mentions that he's a brother of James, uh, which we oftentimes connect that with the writer of the book of James, the character that we see throughout the book of Acts. Uh, it just so happens that Jesus has two brothers named or half brothers, I guess, if we wanted to um, say it technically, uh, these would be uh, full sons of, of Joseph and Mary instead of Jesus' miraculous conception. Um, he has two brothers named uh, Judas and James. So I've always just thought that was that was kind of interesting. You know, we know that according to John chapter seven, they were not believers in Jesus while Jesus was on earth. It seems the resurrection changed some things because when you look at Acts chapter one, uh, the brothers of Jesus are there gathered in the upper room alongside of Mary and the apostles and, and some other brethren uh, who believed in the Lord. So uh, I've just always thought that was interesting, you know, the, the humility that he has, even though he is perhaps a half-brother of Jesus, to not claim that, but instead to just say he's a servant of Jesus Christ. I think there's just a, a lot of humility in that. That's the same way that James describes himself right. in uh, his letter. Um, so I've just always thought that was that was interesting, interesting connection that perhaps we have a half-brother of Jesus that uh, we're reading about here, someone who would have been very acquainted with him, you know, growing up and his life and had different feelings about Jesus uh, throughout his life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe that could, you know, we don't want to press press that too much, but I think that, that can give us some insight into maybe uh, Jude's uh, perspective. I've thought about this with the letter of James as well, if it in indeed is the half-brothers of, of Jesus writing those letters, which I think it is. I think you're right in saying that. Um, you know, maybe maybe there's something to be learned about 
um, you know, their, their sense of, I think both of these books, there's such a sense of urgency of staying with the truth and staying with, uh, with, with Jesus and staying on the right path. And um, I think maybe they, they have this sense of urgency because they know what it's like to not believe and then come to belief. Um, so I don't know if there's, there's anything to that necessarily, but maybe that's something uh, to ponder as we're, we're looking uh, through this letter. Absolutely. Um, so do we want to go ahead and, and dive in? Is there anything else that we need to mention before we, before we get into the actual text? Um, let's dive right in. All right. Um, so we planned on uh, talking about uh, the first 13 verses um, and, uh, so I guess we can go ahead and read that in its entirety. And I think that'll be, uh, more than enough for us to chew on today. Um, Andy, you want to read first or you want to read last? I'll, I'll just give the option to you. Uh, I'll read first. I'll read one through seven and then you'll read the rest. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, Serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Wow, um, that was a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, looking back at just the first couple of verses, we already mentioned a little bit about that, that this is just Jude's greeting. He names himself. The writer of this letter is Jude. He identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. We already made that connection uh, that he is aligning himself as a brother of James, who we believe might also uh, be a half-brother of Jesus. Perhaps Jude is a half-brother of Jesus as well. 
He's writing to Christians, writing to those who were called by the gospel. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 14. They're beloved in God the Father, being guarded for Jesus. What else do we need to mention there about those first couple verses? Um, I think that word mercy stands out to me in verse 2, because I think we're not going to get there today, but later on at the end of Jude, um, we're going we're gonna to see a lot about mercy. That's going to be a important uh, theme. Uh, also, the word in verse 1 that you uh, pointed out, guarded or kept, I think that's going to be uh, a big uh, theme. And that's that's Jude's heart, I think, here is that um, that these believers stay in the mercy of God. They stay in the salvation by by, by walking in truth, um, by being kept um, by God's power. Um, so I think um, those are some of the uh, highlights of those first couple of verses that will kind of help us think about some of the themes that Jude's going to address in this letter. Also, that theme of of love, you see in verse one uh, that they are beloved in God, the father. He wants love to be multiplied to them. And then when he addresses them in verse three, he he calls them beloved, those who he loves. Uh, So, yeah, certainly in the first couple verses, as you as you oftentimes see, some themes are introduced that are going to be common throughout the entirety of the letter. I've always thought verse three is, is kind of interesting, I think, as as preachers, Andy, we can probably understand this, uh, that he was really excited. It seems Jude was eager to write to them about the common salvation that they share. So he, he wanted to write about something that seems to be, you know, very encouraging about this, this salvation that we find unity in, but he found it necessary to write about something else, to appeal to them, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You know, sometimes we have topics that we like to consider. We it encourages us. It keeps us going, and that's good things. But there are other times when we have to consider things, where it is a necessity. It is necessary for us to consider certain topics that might be a little bit harder. That might be a little bit harder for people to accept or to wrap their minds around. And I think that Jude finds himself in that tension. He says, "Even though I want to write to you about this." found it necessary that this is what we need to talk about in view of these false teachers who have crept in. Um, have, have you found that struggle in ministry? I, I don't think you have to be a preacher to understand uh, this problem, uh, this, this kind of struggle or tension. Um, how have you viewed that? Yeah, I, I really like what you said there. I think I, think I definitely relate uh, to that. It's a lot easier to talk about the things that are positive, the things that are uh, hopeful, the things that are encouraging. Um, who doesn't want to talk about uh, the salvation that we have in Christ? And, and that's a that's an important subject to talk about. And I think Jude would affirm that because he wanted to write about it. You know, he 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 had a desire to, to talk about this. And that's important for Christians to learn about, even though we're already saved. We we need to know about our common salvation. We need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded of what God has done for us. Um, but also at the same time, um, there's a, there's a sense of urgency with Jude here that because of the situation of the churches, because of whatever is going on, he knows, uh, he needs to, to address this issue. Um, and I think that's, that's something that, 
again, a lot of us can relate to in our Christian life, whether it is it isn't teaching or preaching or you're just interacting with with fellow believers. Um, there might be conversations that you may not necessarily want to have, but you know you need to have. And I think it goes back to this this theme of love that you're pointing out. Um, starts out with beloved, as you mentioned in verse uh, three. And as we're as we're reading through this, and as what we already read, I think we see that there's some harsh language. There's some difficult ideas there. There's some pretty tough things that are are being said. Um, some pretty harsh sounding warnings. But I think it's important for us to see that. All of that is coming from love. This this sternness, this um, ability to talk about uh, false teaching and warn against it and rebuke it. That is not opposed to love. That is um, that is part of love. It's an integral piece of love. And I think we we see that uh, there. And I think that's a that's a lesson for us. There may be things that we might want to talk about more appealing for us to talk about, but I think we have to be aware of what the needs are of the people around us, of our congregations. If we are preaching or teaching, um, what's the, what's the most pressing need? What do people need to hear? Not necessarily what do I want uh, to teach or what do I want to, to share? And that, that takes some courage to do sometimes. And I think that's what Jude is doing here. I think that's exactly right. It's uh, like you said, we always need to be reminded about this common salvation that we have. But in view of what's going on, it's important for them to contend and to consider contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Let's let's camp out on that idea for just a second to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Whenever I think about that word contend, I think about like being in a you know, the ball is going out to play. They're contending to try to try to win this game. They're fighting to try to win this game. Uh, hopefully they beat Austin P tomorrow. We're recording this on, <laughs> on Friday morning. Well, if they don't, then forget the entire season. Uh, but, you know, that's that's what he wants them to do for the faith, which it's not your faith or my faith, and as in like the trust that we're placing in the Lord. Here he's using the faith to talk about, Christianity to talk about the truth that's been delivered. He says, that's something that you have to contend for. That's something that you have to fight for. He says, this faith was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, here's the body of truth that's been given. Here's Christianity as a whole that's been given. And it's not going to have to be given again. It was delivered once for all time to the saints, the holy people of God. I, that's what he's wanting them to do in view of the problem that we'll talk about in just a minute in verse four. Yeah. And so I think that's, it's important to to point out what you're saying there is that as he's writing, he says, I'm appealing to you to contend for this faith. So it's, it seems like the, the people that he's writing to aren't necessarily, not necessarily the ones promoting this false teaching. It doesn't seem like that's the case there. They may not, they may not, uh, be that affected by that th themselves or may not think that they are. They may not be believe it, um, but it seems like there's a problem that they're not contending for the true faith. And Jude sees this danger of uh, what, what, again, what we're going to talk about, 
of these false teachers coming in. It's, it's not enough just to believe the right things. It's not ju- enough just to um, to accept the, the true body of teaching. I think we all have a responsibility to contend for it. We're entrusted with it to reflect the truth in our lives and protect the truth in our lives because it's that important. You know, there, there are souls at, at stake in contending uh, for the faith. This is, this is a spiritual uh, battleground. Um, and so we, we have to preserve what is true, preserve what God has delivered to us, what is revealed to us, because that's where there is power for transformation. That's where there's power for this common salvation that Jude was very eager to write about. And I think the implication that Jude is, is saying here, if you don't contend for this, then, you know, th- this this is putting our common salvation in, in jeopardy because there are people coming in who, who want to uh, who want to uh, mar the truth, who want to deceive, who want to uh, teach these things that are that are false, um, that don't lead to salvation. And so that's why this is so important that Jude is not only contending for the faith, but he's appealing to these Christians to contend for the the faith themselves. Without reading, you know, too much into this, but when you look at verse uh, three and then you look at verse five, do you think that this group of Christians maybe were sitting on their hands just a little bit? Um, I think maybe Jude is hinting at that idea that he's having to write to them appealing, hey, this is something that you need to be involved in. You need to be contending for the faith. And then he says in verse five, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. So it seems like he's suggesting there that their full knowledge of what he's reminding them of has started to fade away. Yeah. So uh, I think maybe he sees this as his responsibility to step in into a lot of fire under them. Uh, to say this is what you should be about. This is what you should be doing. You should be contending for this faith because there's something really serious that we're facing in verse number four. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'm glad you made that connection to to verse five there because I think that really uh, highlights it. And, you know, he says, although you once fully knew it, and I'm reminding you of this, I don't know, if I, I don't think it's uh, that, they uh, lost, truly lost the knowledge, but they lost uh, the they need a reminder of this because they're not living out the reality that he's he's stirring them up to to remember. So I think you're exactly right in in what you're saying. I think uh, they, they are sitting on their hands. They I've, I've said this word already a few times, but they've lost the sense of of urgency and. I think one of the things that Jude is saying is that if you really get the high stakes of what is going on here, if you really understand who Jesus is, which he's about to point us to and what we're about to talk about, if you really understand the the serious nature of salvation and of judgment and of false teaching, then you're you're not going to. Um, you're not going to be content to sit by and not contend uh, for the faith. You're not going to be content to let these certain people creep in and wreck um, uh, the what has been built uh, on on a firm foundation. Um, so I think uh, you're exactly right in what you're saying there, what you pointed out with between uh, verse three and verse five. 
And I think throughout this book, Jude's going to teach us how to contend earnestly, to contend eagerly for the faith. Um, I think there's some some ways that we can do this in our time to contend for the faith that might not be the most appropriate. You know, I think uh, sometimes the temptation is to comment on every theological post that I find and uh, start an argument in the comment section on Facebook. I'm not sure that's the most profitable thing. Um, I saw a post, it was uh, just a few weeks ago, of someone in the church who posted that uh, all Baptists are going to hell, prove me wrong. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure that's the, that's the best thing to do there. I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's actually, I, I don't think Jude would put his stamp of approval on that when he talks about contending for the faith, but then also recognizing that, that it is our responsibility to contend for the faith that has once for all been delivered. I, I think as we go throughout this book, Jude's going to instruct us on how to do this. And it kind of goes back to what you said, Andy. It's, it's a lot about mercy. It's about love. It's about relying on the Lord. I think we'll see that in just a little bit, relying on what he's going to do and what he says. Uh, so I don't, I just, I've seen that a lot on Facebook. I, we just need to be careful about First, what we say, but especially what we post with that newfound confidence of sitting behind a screen. Yeah, I think I think that's such an important point. There's there's a right way and a wrong way to contend for the faith. And I think sometimes maybe perhaps we convince ourselves that we're contending for the faith when really we just we want to be right or we want to prove other people wrong. And we don't have the same heart that Jude has here of seeing these people as beloved and loving these, these people and really caring about the souls. So I can, I can win an argument, but does that really help lift up the truth? Does that exalt the goodness of the glory of God, the, the true faith? Um, is it, is it showing people something, um, good and true uh in the scriptures and in jesus or am i just trying to prove a point am i trying to put someone else down i think um we have to be very um careful and considerate and reflective of our own hearts and motivations as we do that but at the same time like you're saying not back down uh or refuse to be bold when that is called for I think both of those ditches that we can fall into have the same root of wanting to wanting to lift up ourselves or wanting to ultimately to uh, to please people. And if if that's our motivation, then we're never going to truly contend for the faith. But if our motivation is to to honor God and to love other people, then we're going to say difficult things when that when it needs to be said. Uh, but we're also going to do that in a spirit of love and gentleness and, and humility as, as the Bible instructs us to. I know that we need to eventually move on, but I think we also need to draw out a distinction between contending for the faith and contending for things like traditions that we have formed. You know, I, I think sometimes people may think that they're contending for the faith, but they actually might be contending for a tradition of a particular 
religious group or a way that we've always believed about something that might not necessarily be in step with scriptures. So uh, there's certainly a lot to talk about there in uh, just that one phrase, but I, I feel like we're going to continue to hash that out as we study throughout the entirety of the book. Um, Andy, if we don't have anything on that, do you want to mention a little bit about verse four, the reason why Jude is asking them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered? Yeah, and I think I think what, what we're going to see here in verse four is similar to what we pointed out in verse three and five. It seems that there is there has been this sense of maybe complacency is the right uh, word, uh, lack of alertness uh, to what is going on, because in verse four, Jude says certain people have crept in on noticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So he's using very strong, strong language to describe these false teachers. They are ungodly. They're denying the only master that we have that, you know, this is, this is as bad as you can get. And he says, they've crept in unnoticed. And I think there's maybe some uh, incredulous. Uh, he's kind of incredulous here. He is um, frustrated. Maybe is is how 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 do you have you allowed these people to creep in that are denying um, everything that 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 we believe in that are um, drawing people away from the true faith? They're they're perverting the grace of our God into sensuality. Um, they're taking something that is holy and good and a gift, and they're making it into something for their own selfish uh, pleasure. Um, and I think I think that's that's kind of what's going on here. Is he's saying, wake up to to what has what has crept in, and and be aware of what's going on because this is a very very dangerous thing that is that is happening. They had missed it, but. God didn't. Uh, God saw it. Uh, he says that they crept in unnoticed into these assemblies, but long ago God had designated them for condemnation. In other words, God long ago had laid down, I believe what this is saying, that if you go down this path, you're going towards condemnation. But God saw them long ago. God saw them years, thousands of years from the uh, before the creation, before this uh, even took place and they didn't even see it when it was right under their noses. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting contrast there that uh, the Christians didn't see it, but God did. And, you know, these people, they aren't like God. They're ungodly. They think that the grace of God gives them permission to sin. They think that the grace of God gives them a license to sin. And they're denying the only master and Lord there is. And that's Jesus Christ. Um, so, uh, you know, that I, I, I like what you said, that this is complacency. I think they're sitting on their hands just a little bit, and Jude's wanting to stir them up. He's going to do that as we continue into verses 5 through 7 by talking about three uh, times, three occasions of Jesus's judgment on the ungodly. And, um, of course, that has application for uh, their setting and has application for our setting today. But before we go there, is there any other loose ends we need to tie up from verses three and four? 
No, I think I think uh, what you said was uh, was really helpful and really good. And I, I like just one comment to kind of segue into what you just said about verses five through seven. Just the the title of that is given to Jesus here, Master and Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus, the the Messiah. Um, Jesus is not just savior who gives grace. He's not just the one who uh, allows us to be forgiven so we can do whatever we want. That's a perversion of his grace. He's also master and Lord. And along with that is he's what, like you, like you pointed out, he is, he is judge. Um, he, he, uh, brings, brings wrath and brings judgment, uh, as well. Um, and so I think that's important. If, if you're only using Jesus as a, a savior to get you out of your sins, but you don't see him as master and Lord, well, you've really missed Jesus. And so, um, I think Jude is trying to stir these Christians up and remind them of, uh, a fuller picture of, of Jesus, uh, that they need to be reminded of. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that point has a lot of application in our time. I mean, you even see that idea showing up in places like Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul says, certainly not. Or I think it's the King James that says, God forbid, some pretty strong language there. No, that that's not what you do. But uh, so often uh, we just think about having our sins forgiven, but not willing to place ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, that is something that the scriptures stand against uh, time after time. Uh, so I appreciate you appreciate you bringing that out. Um, you know, and it's another kind of contrast between what's said at the end of verse four and then transitioning into five through seven is they were denying the only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so he goes on in verses five through seven to talk about what this master and what this Lord has done in the past in terms of judgment. So he wants to remind them, he says, you fully knew this at one time, but I, I, I need to bring this back before your eyes about what Jesus has done, not just for his people, but what Jesus has done uh, for those who were evil, what, what Jesus has done for those who were uh, committing sin. Uh, the first example, uh, and I'll, we'll just kind of look at it from a three, uh, a a 30,000 foot view, and then we'll get more specific. Uh, first, he talks about the Exodus. He talks about uh, the Jews in the land of Egypt. That's verse five. He talks about angels in verse number six. And then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, going back to the book of Genesis in verse number seven. So those are, those are three examples of divine judgment. And the idea is, if Jesus performed judgment in these three specific times, against these ungodly people, isn't that what he's going to do today against the ungodly, against those who have crept in, those ungodly people who pervert the grace of God and deny him? He's going to, the, the one who they deny is the one who's going to judge them. Yeah, that's, and that's a sobering thought to, to think about. Um, and it's interesting, these three examples that he uses are, the judgment that Jesus executes demonstrates on three very different groups of people. First, the, the, own, you know, God's own covenant people who he rescued, but then 
later afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So these are people that are part of part of Israel that are coming out of um, coming out of Egypt. And this is God's covenant people. And yet they are not uh, they are not spared from uh, uh, justice. They're not spared from judgment for their sins. Then you got angels, beings who were, were it seems like we're at one point in the very presence of God who also experienced judgment. And then you've got Sodom and Gomorrah, who people we wouldn't think of as God's people uh, that are outside. And yet they also um, uh, experience the judgment of God. And so maybe I, I don't want to stretch this too far, but maybe a point here is um, don't 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 think that you're. Um, you know, your status or your uh, position makes you immune to the, the righteous judgment of of God, because these people who maybe at once had a, a good standing um, when they left God, when they rebelled against God, they faced uh, judgment. What do you think about that, Tyler? Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. Um, I was. Uh, taking a, a little bit of a deeper look at, at verse five, you know, I had never noticed that it mentioned Jesus who saved the people. And so I, I took a second to look in uh, the Greek New Testament, and there are a lot of different options that this is a pretty big textual variant in the book of Jude, where if you have your Bible open, uh, those who are listening, it might say something like uh, the Lord did this or god did this or the lord jesus did this or jesus those are all options uh that have been given in a in in a lot of different texts uh but yeah i i i think that you're exactly right that uh here here are three examples that have some that have some relevance and application in our time um just to point out a few things that i thought i think are interesting in here of course you know jesus it says he saves uh, the people of Israel in the land of Egypt, but then destroys those who didn't believe. Um, and then the angels in verse six, you know, Andy, I'm, I'm sure that you have a full knowledge of what's going on with these angels here. Nope. Uh, in verse six, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, this, this and second Peter are the only place where we find something like this, but um, apparently we had some angels. Jude says they didn't stay in their position of authority, left their proper dwelling and are put in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment day. Um, I mean, I, I don't know anything about that. Um, I, I know that it's, it's a reality in verse six. I know that that's something that's happened, but I don't think I can comment any further on that. <laughs> um, uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll know more about that uh, in, in the hereafter. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, a, a lot of people talk about how, you know, the problem of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't homosexuality, but it was something else. Uh, well, here you have scripture saying that Sodom and Gomorrah, the reason it was destroyed is because they indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire and um, served as an example by undergoing not just the fire that rained down from heaven in that time in the book of Genesis, but also a punishment of eternal fire. Um, so, yeah, I think you know, we're looking at a group of people who, you know, they they don't believe these false teachers. They don't believe as they should. Verse five and verse six, we're looking at a group of false teachers who have left 
who have not stayed where they were supposed to stay. In verse 7, we have people who they turn the grace of God into sensuality in verse 4, and perhaps they are also a living in sexual immorality. Well, God saved my spirit. doesn't really matter what I do with my body. And uh, so he uses three specific examples here to talk about the judgment uh, that uh, this group of false teachers are going to experience. That's kind of a lot of random. I feel like I just vomited a lot of random ideas out there. No, that's uh, good. But Andy, yeah, what do you have to say on any of that? Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to say, you know, here because this is uh, a really dense section. I think a, a really important section. I think what you're pointing out with these three examples, I think the one of the common threads is that this is uh, a rebellion against God's authority against God's design and lordship goes back to the idea of Jesus being master and Lord and people denying um, that and people deciding to do uh, what they want to do, uh, living by their own authority, living as if they are master and Lord and King. And um, Judas pointing out the severity of the consequences of doing that. Um, there is, with this, with this rebellion comes eternal uh, punishment. I think he's, he's really pointing out the, the eternal consequences of this. Verse 6, eternal change until the judgment of the great day. Um, uh, punishment of eternal fire uh, in verse uh, 7. And so if you, if he's saying to these Christians that he's writing to, if, if you keep letting this go unnoticed and you, um, aren't seeing the seriousness of this again, wake up to the eternal consequences uh, of what's going on. Because again, like you said earlier, even if, if you're not noticing this, Jesus no notices this, God notices this. He is not unaware of this rebellion and this false teaching and this sensuality and the sexual immorality. Um, God sees it and he will bring, uh, all of that to account. Um, Continuing on our theme of kind of just ran, random thoughts, going, I want to go mm -hmm. back to uh, verse five and and the, what you mentioned as well. It's just it's very profound, you know. Whatever the you know um, textual variant is, I you know it's it's just interesting that that it it's saying here that the Lord or Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt. That might be strange uh, for us to think about that. Well, Jesus wasn't in. The Old Testament, I don't remember reading about Jesus in the Exodus, but it's it's clear that Jude and the New Testament writers see Jesus as very present in the Old Testament. Uh, he is uh, powerful. He is a rescuer. He is a deliverer. But at the same time, he is a judge. And so I think this kind of confounds some modern assumptions about Jesus that Jesus is somehow in contrast to the wrath and judgment that's seen in the Old Testament. And Jesus is totally about, you know, just uh, love and gentleness in a, in a very shallow way of accepting everything. Uh, no, Jesus from the very beginning has about been about rescuing, rescuing people from bondage and delivering people from sin and, um, he brings people to account for their sin at the same time. So I think that's so important for us to have this fully orbed vision and understanding of who Jesus is uh, from, from
from the beginning through the Old Testament to even even now. Yeah, absolutely. The same yesterday, today, and forever is what uh, Hebrews chapter 13 has to say about our Lord and Master. Um, so, yeah, these are, are three examples of divine judgment. And I think Jude is saying, of course, hey, these these people, verse 8, in the like manner, these people also um, are going to receive uh, God's judgment, Jesus's judgment, the Lord's judgment. Um, all right. There's a lot to say there. I feel like we could spend more time there. Uh, but is there any, Andy, anything else we want to mention? No, I think let's 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 move on to verse eight. OK, Paul. let's move on. Hard to get hard to get two preachers to move on, but I know. <laughs> uh, we will. Uh, so these uh, people in like manner, and he, he goes on in, in this passage to describe them just a little bit and to describe what they're doing. Uh, they rely on their dreams. Um, I read that there's a, a couple of different ways of thinking about that, that perhaps dreaming refers to uh, them claiming to receive special or specific revelations um or it could be uh some have suggested that this is them being out of touch with truth and reality i would prefer the former i think um but uh they're relying on their dreams instead of the faith that the christians are supposed to contend for they're defiling the flesh we just said they took the grace of god and and used that as an excuse to do sensual things uh, they reject authority. They blaspheme the glorious ones. When when you look at these people, it's not really a, a great outlook, is it? Uh, no, the, the, these people are headed to uh, destruction. They are opposed to the truth. They're opposed to what's good. They're opposed to what's uh, righteous. And so I think Judah's saying, stay away and warn other people about these kinds of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in verse nine, Andy and I were talking about this before we before we jumped on uh, that uh, Jude actually quotes from a work uh, called the Assumption of Moses. Uh, he alludes to it, uh, not a direct quotation, but alludes to it, at least something that would have been well known in the first century church, but something that is. Uh, not in the pages of scriptures. And we're going to run into this again in verse 14 when he quotes from the book of Enoch. Um, there are some Christians who might be uncomfortable with the idea of an inspired writer quoting from or alluding to an uninspired source that we don't have for us uh, preserved in the Holy Scriptures. I don't think that's something that we should necessarily be uncomfortable about. I, you know, I think about, I kind of compare it to preachers today. You know, they're, they're preaching from the truth, but they'll illustrate it with a story that happened back in 1976, uh, you know, or, or something that was written in secular literature. You find this uh, throughout uh, the New Testament, for instance, in Acts chapter 17, whenever Paul quotes from the Athenian poets, or uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, Titus chapter 1 and verse number 12 are uh, quotations taken from uh, secular literature uh, that can be helpful when it comes to clarification, confirmation, illustration, uh, things like that. Uh, so 
I just thought we'd go ahead and kind of throw that one out there. We might have more to say about that in verse 14. Um, but, um, Andy, what, how have you always thought about that? Has, has that ever been a problem for you or for anyone you've talked to? Yeah, I remember, I remember being, uh, as a teenager, kind of reading Jude for the first time and, and, you know, thinking through some of these things and being very troubled, uh, by, by that and, and wondering, okay, what's, what's the deal with that? But I think you explained it, uh, pretty, pretty well. I mean, uh, Paul is not afraid of, of using uh, secular examples or illustrations or non-inspired material to make his point. Um, like you said, preachers often uh, use non-inspired material to illustrate a true uh, point. Um, so I think we shouldn't have uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't be too concerned about this. We should look for okay what's the what's the actual point of what jude is saying because you can get bogged down in um a lot of the details of of this and um you know go into a lot of different speculations and and theories but he is i think he's likely using something that his readers would have been familiar with something that they would have understood a story that they would have would have known um to make his greater point which is about these false teachers. And I think he brings this story up to say, uh, to, to give an example of how um, these false teachers are denying authority. They are putting themselves in the place of authority and he's providing a contrast with uh, the, the, the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now I may be wrong here, but I think his point is Michael knew his place. He knew that the Lord is the one who has proper authority uh, to, to rebuke and to pronounce judgment. And that's in contrast to these false teachers who are, who are usurping the, the proper authority structures. They're taking authority uh, upon themselves rather than humbly submitting to God. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, I have a, a little uh, note in my Bible that, that I had written in, leave it in God's hands. Um, I, I, think, I, think that's what, I think that's the point that he's making when it comes to Michael and him contending with the devil about the body of Moses. He didn't take it upon himself to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, uh, but instead was content to say, the Lord rebuke you. And uh, so I, I think that might give us some insight into what we talked about back in verse three, contending for the faith. How do we do that? Well, I'm not going to take it into my hands. I'm not going to view it as my responsibility to make sure that people know that they're condemned and I'm condemning you and, and uh, I'm making sure that you know uh, about this, this guilt that you have and this sin that you have. But how about we just let the Lord speak? Uh, how about we let the Lord rebuke as he does through his inspired word? Uh, we allow them to come into touch with scripture. I don't really have to say anything on my own authority, but I point people to what God has already said. The one who does have the authority, the only master and Lord who has the power to bring about judgment, as we just saw in verses five through seven. Uh, I think you're I think you're spot on uh, with with that point. I think that's exactly 
uh, what Jude is wanting to bring us to. Yeah, I think I think you put it really well there in connecting that contending idea to the contending for the faith. You know, if you if you're thinking about it, um, if there's if there's anyone that you might have a little bit of confidence condemning, it might be the devil. You know, it might be you might feel good <laughs> about true. condemning the the devil, but Michael is not even presuming to do that. And so I think that is a, a powerful lesson for us, similar to what you're saying, is it's not our job to look around uh, the people that we're talking to and say, I have the authority to say that you are condemned, but I can point people to the truth and say, this is what the Lord has said. This is what the Lord has warned against. This is what the Lord um, has said will will condemn you. It's not it's not my role to do that. I'm deferring to the proper authority. I'm deferring to my master and Lord. And I have a responsibility to be a, a messenger to contend. But contending with someone doesn't mean I blaspheme, doesn't mean I take authority that doesn't belong to me, and doesn't mean I condemn when I don't have the right to condemn. Jesus didn't even do that, right? Like in John chapter 3, uh, where the Bible talks about how Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to save the world. I saw a quote floating around on social media. If Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, then what makes us think that's the reason that we're here? I mean, if, if Jesus didn't do that, if he didn't take that upon himself, uh, then why did we take that into our hands? Let's leave it. Let's leave it in God's hands. Um, so continuing on, you know, verses 10 through 13 are more about uh, describing these false teachers, describing the antagonist in this story. Um, anything else uh, we want to mention specifically about verse 9? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I've got anything about uh, verse 9. I think we can move on to verse 10 through 13. Well, we'll see this kind of description, which Peter uh, we mentioned in Second Peter had says some very similar things to what we're about to see here. Uh, but these people, they blaspheme, he says in verse 10, things that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning, uh, unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Uh, that's a, kind of a, a, an interesting statement that they are they're living like these unreasoning animals. Uh, they they're blaspheming things that they don't understand and they're destroyed by what they understand just based on their instincts. Uh, so a, a pretty neat contrast there when it comes to their understanding, uh, they're speaking evil against what they don't understand and they're destroyed by what they understand, but their understanding is just based on their instincts. I, I keep on pivoting back to they're taking the grace of God and turning it into sensuality in other words just doing what they want to do what makes them feel good and uh i think that's what he's alluding to here yeah and this is a really vivid picture and describing these uh false teachers here they're making all these pronouncements and judgments and blasphemous statements about things that are beyond them things that they don't understand they presume that they know more than they do they presume that they understand more than they than they do but the things that they do really understand are the things that destroy them they're living by instinct like animals they're 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 following their base desires i think 
um, sexually is in the context here is, is part of what is being, being talked about. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot of lesson, relevant lessons to be learned from uh, this uh, verse. There's a lot of people that make pronouncements about things that they don't, they don't fully understand. And yet they're also not living in a, a wise way. They're, they're not following God's authority. They're not following God's wisdom. We're just going by what we feel, going by um, um, our instinct. And that makes us no different than unreasoning animals if we live um, in, su- in such a way. And so uh, I think I, I see a picture here of, of arrogance, of pride, of um, flouting God's uh, standards. And um, that's not how we should be. Um, we should be humble, submissive, uh, loving, and um, giving ourselves over to God's authority and his understanding and his wisdom. Well said. Yeah, you can take these these descriptions of the false teachers and uh, flip them around, and that's who we're supposed to be. You know, we're, we're supposed to be the exact opposite of what we see in these yeah. individuals. Yeah, I, I like I, I like you like that point a lot. Um, in verse eleven, he mentions three more examples from the Old Testament, and um, uh, just to go ahead, and I, I'm sure that by now you're expecting that these examples are not very good. Um, it, that they're walking in the way of Cain, they've abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Uh, Peter talks about that as being uh, greed. Greed was a part of who they were. They perished in Korah's rebellion. We could spend a lot of time going through those uh, Old Testament examples, and Andy, you might want to do that. I know we're uh, we're coming up on an hour here. That's sneaking up on us quickly. Um, but you know, these are three Old Testament examples that I'm not so sure I would want to be aligned with. What about you? <laughs> yeah, this is this is not a good list that you want to be associated with. You've got uh, the first murderer uh, there. You've got a uh, a pagan there that was, uh, you know, uh, greedy and uh, opposed to uh, what is true. And then you've got someone who uh, was engaged in a uh, defiant rebellion against God and his established uh, leaders and was destroyed. And so I, I, I don't I, I don't want to be associated with with any of those. Uh, people and so he's I think he's just again he's heightening the stakes of how serious um, this false teaching is he's lumping them in with these people that would have been recognized as here's people you don't want to be like Um, Jews um, people who are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures would have known that and he's saying woe to them because they're walking in the same pattern that these other people fell victim to that they they destroyed themselves by their um, by their actions and by their teaching, and by how they lived. I think that uh, phrase in verse eleven there, they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, is so interesting. Is if you're living purely by instinct, if you're living for greed, if you're living for yourself, when you exalt yourself, you're actually losing yourself. When you're yeah. living for yourself. You're abandoning yourself, um, which is really what Jesus said, right? He, he talked about that idea a lot. If you deny yourself, you're really going to find yourself. You're going to find your life. But if you are seeking yourself, seeking to find life, you're going to lose 
uh, your life. Um, so I think that's a, a interesting turn of phrase there that again points us to the the danger of rejecting God's authority and truth and, and plan. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, well, if if you're wanting these descriptions to get any better, they don't. Um, in verse twelve, I, you know I I like this love feast, Andy. Can 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 we start calling our fellowship meals love feast? <laughs> I uh, think so. Yeah, <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, but, you know, this idea of hidden reefs at your love feast, this is the idea that when you were pulling into a port, uh, like in a ship, uh, you would come up all of a sudden on a reef and it would just destroy your boat and your boat would sink and uh, everybody would either uh, drown or swim and you would lose everything in your boat. You know, that's 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 what they are. We said just a little bit earlier uh, that they came in unnoticed and we talked right. about their complacency in that and here he goes again referring to their hiddenness in verse 12 they're like these hidden reefs and your ship comes up on them and you don't know you've hit them until you've hit them and you're sinking and now you better uh you know you're going to drown or you're going to swim you have two options but you know you're supposed to be at this this love feast you're supposed to be sharing together in fellowship loving one another just like jesus loves us but you have these people that you've allowed to come in who are hidden and they're causing destruction. This is supposed to be about love, but this ship that's based on love is all of a sudden hit a hidden reef and it's caused a lot of trouble. Yeah. That, that image there reminds me of the language that Paul uses in, in another place about uh, people who made a shipwreck of their faith. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think that's, that's kind of the, the image here is that this is something that, has come in unnoticed. It's below the surface that you don't see. It's something that's hidden. You're 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 not aware of it, and then it causes this great damage uh, before you're even uh, even aware. And so he's saying, you know, you're letting these there's these people that are fellowshipping with you without fear, like it's just normal, mm-hmm. and they're causing this huge destruction that is disrupting. Uh, uh, disrupting the church, disrupting the true fellowship, the true love that you ought to have. And so be aware of that, these hidden reefs that are creeping in unnoticed, have crept in unnoticed. Yeah, they feast without fear. Of course, they don't fear God, but they're also not fearing the Christians because the Christians aren't doing anything about it. Yeah, uh, they're yeah. they're not contending for the faith. And uh, so, again, this is not just speaking uh, just a, a description of the false teachers. But I think even in that phrase, you find, hey, you guys, you guys need to do better with this. Uh, you guys need to, of course, going back to verse three, contend for the faith. That's what this book is all about. Um, there are shepherds who feed themselves. If you're a shepherd who feeds just yourself and you're not feeding the sheep, then you're not a very good shepherd. Um, uh, but that's that's what they're doing. Selfishness. They're just focused on themselves. Um, selfishness is a, a big problem, uh, of course, with them. I think we can even see selfishness in the church today, selfishness in our own lives, uh, where shepherds supposed to be serving and helping to take care of others, but I'm only looking out for me. Yeah, there's. I think there's a there's an idea of of greed here, of self centeredness here. Um, and there are, I think Jude's warning us, there are people 
that are in that come into the church and they have a pretense of maybe being leaders, maybe a pretense of um, being teachers, and yet they're in it for their their own their own gain. They they feast uh, without fear. They they're feeding them themselves. They're gorging themselves while destroying uh, the flock. Um, so we, we've got to we've got to be on alert about this. Again, this is the kind of thing that Jesus warned about as what well, as well you know uh wolf and sheep's sheep's clothing and then uh the next image there is is interesting as well waterless clouds uh, i don't know what you think about that tyler but i think the idea there is this is something that promises rain you know you look at a, a cloud it looks you know it should be a source of providing rain and life and, and flourishing in that way and yet it never delivers on that promise because it's got it's got nothing to give. And I think that's the, that's the image here. Um, a, a powerful one of these teachers that are coming in, they're, they're promising things and yet they, they never deliver. Why? Because, well, they're, they're feeding themselves. They're focused on themselves. They're not focused on God's uh, truth. I think that's exactly right. I mean, yeah, nothing to give. Um, they, they look like they should have something to give, but they don't. Um, Fruitless trees is the next one in late autumn. That's the time when trees are supposed to be filled with fruit. But uh, here's a tree that doesn't have any fruit at all. And it's not just fruitless. It's twice dead. And it's not just twice dead. It's uprooted. So it's like, you know, it's, it's like he's like kind of twisting the knife on this one where uh, you, I, I imagine him writing and, you know, they're like fruitless. Of course, he's doing this by the inspiration of the spirit. But just kind of the way I picture that is, they're fruitless trees, and, and it's supposed to be the time when they're supposed to have fruit. And uh, let's add on top of that that they're dead. But they're not just dead. They're twice dead. And they're not just twice dead. They're uprooted. Like, he just keeps piling it on top. Right, to describe, right. Yeah. You know, these uh, these people, they, they're spiritually dead. They're not rooted in where they're supposed to be. And you're not going to get any fruit from them. Um, so, you know, uh, again going back to contend for the faith i think that's what it leads us back to yeah these these trees are as dead as dead can be you know so don't don't go to them for looking for fruit you know recognize the the spiritual uh danger and deadness of these of these people yeah uh, verse 13 mentions the wild waves waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame in the old testament and even in the new testament when you see uh, waters that are unsettled, uh, waters uh, that are, are wavy, where there's wild waves, like he talks about here, that's a symbol of confusion and chaos. So I think, um, you know, I think that's, that's who they are. Um, it, it's interesting in this honor type shame culture in verse 13, he says they're casting up the foam when waves crest. Of course, they're, they're, they're casting up foam, but he says this is the foam of their own shame. Um, and it seems like these false teachers are being accepted, perhaps even honored, uh, whenever they're actually these wild waves and all that they're producing is shame. And he wants them to recognize that. Yeah. Again, all this, all this imagery is very, uh, vivid, very, uh, striking and it's all, it's all serving the same purpose, but. Uh, he's i think it's it's important for jude to 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 give all this this kind of diverse imagery to show 
the the broad scope of what these false teachers are doing. This is not a little problem. This is this is a huge deal. And you need to see in all these different ways. He's calling he's using these metaphors to help them to see with with fresh eyes uh, what is really going going on. And he uh, moves into the 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 wandering stars idea. I think the idea there is that they similar to the uh, the false promises idea that we've seen it's, you know, a star is, was used for, for na- navigation. And so people they're, they're leading people astray, but it's not, it's not leading people to where they really need uh, to go. These stars are, are wondering and for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So the star is a promise of light, a promise of direction. And yet, it's leading to just this utter darkness forever and ever going back to this eternal consequences. Um, so pretty stark language uh, here being used. I've also thought about that last phrase like this, you know, like when you look up in the sky and uh, you see a shooting star probably doesn't happen a whole lot, but when you look up in the night sky and you see a shooting star, it's like it just falls down into the darkness yeah. of the night yeah. sky and just kind of disappears forever. And uh, I think that's kind of the depiction here. Yeah. You picture them, you know, like like shooting stars. And then uh, he says the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them forever. And so, of course, they're going to disappear in God's judgment, as we talked about in verses five through seven, into the utter darkness of of hell uh, forever. That place is, is reserved for them. It has their their name on it as they continue to walk down that path. Yeah. Frightening imagery there, um, but really important uh, to bring out the the main point. Yes. To understand these aren't these aren't some good guys uh, that need to be uh, sitting at your table. uh, But instead, uh, these are these are people that uh, you need to allow uh, the Lord to rebuke. But that comes to the uh, to the end of of where we want to about halfway through the book um, where we want to cover today and. Uh, Next time, we'll pick up in 14 and work our way through the rest of it. But uh, Andy, appreciate appreciate your thoughts today. Uh, I think if I think if we had to issue a challenge, I I don't know what you're thinking, but for the week, I think it would come back to verse three. I think this entire book comes back to verse three to contend for the faith, maybe to spend some time in prayer, to spend some time reflecting in what ways do I need to do that? Uh, in, In what ways have I been complacent? How am I, when it comes to my relationship with God, how am I just sitting on my hands and allowing things to happen and I'm not really paying attention and I'm not having this sense of urgency that I should have for souls that are lost? Am I just watching error as it is produced and propagated or am I willing by the way that I live my life to contend for the faith which has once for all been delivered, to go back to the word of God, to stand strong in the word of God and to live my life uh, contending for that. Um, Andy, would you would you add anything to that? I, I hated to speak for you. Now I'm giving you a chance to speak for yourself. <laughs> no, that's it's uh, I was going to think this. I was thinking about the same thing for the for the challenge is, is contending for the faith, because like you said, I think that's what this all this whole book revolves around and it's the charge to us that was the same as the charge given to the christians that that jude was writing to and 
I think we need to do some careful reflection on what that might look like uh, in our lives, because uh, frankly speaking, there are people in our congregations, people in our lives that um, they are being inundated. We all are being inundated with with lies um, from religious teachers, from secular teachers, from media, from wherever it may come, lies that are opposed to the faith, that are different from the faith, and people are being led astray. And if we have a true sense of urgency and love for those people, we will think about the ways that we can contend for the faith and be bold in that and courageous in that um, and and stand up and say, no, this is this is what is true. Um, and this is what is good. And this is what is God honoring. Um, and I, I don't want to I don't want uh, people to, to fall into into destruction and into darkness. So I think you're exactly right. Andy, I appreciate your thoughts today and uh, enjoyed enjoyed this study a lot. There is so much to talk about in the book of Jude and uh, look forward to uh, finishing out the study next time if the Lord wills. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Looking forward to next time. Thank you for listening to Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode, connect with us on our private Facebook group called Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast, or send us an email at streamsofwater.com. 13 at gmail.com. That's streams of water 13 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.